What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels or hopefully the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it is now time for the final part of our top 60 albums of 1991 countdown. Yes, the top 10 albums of 1991, according to me, myself, and I, Joey. I'm going to play them for you right now here on Rock Strikes 10. Not the full albums, but one song apiece. Enough to get you to want to go buy them. I mean, yes, you know, in case they ever come after me, in case they try to shut me, shut me, shut me down, this is going to be like, hey, you need to buy these records. I'm the industry's greatest friend right here, and I'm here to provide some commercialism and fandom to all things rock. That includes our friends in hip-hop as well, whenever deemed worthy, and just all aspects of rock from like the last seven decades right here. Okay, there's like an elongated intro. There's my old epic intro to get into this one right here. Let's get back into the countdown. Coming in at number 10, this was the final push to make me a fan of this band. I only ever owned one song by this band prior to this album coming out. And, you know, what do you want, man? I was 12. I, I just, I hadn't, uh... <laughs> I hadn't become a real man yet, so I hadn't become a Motorhead fan yet. <laughs> so yeah, I had Cradle to the Grave on the uh, Decline 2 Metal Year soundtrack on cassette, and I really loved that song, so for years that was like the only Motorhead song I ever heard. They didn't get a ton of play on Headbangers Ball that I could tell, but around the time this album came out, full push right here, and I remember there was like a live show they did where they filmed it in black and white. They played a whole bunch of videos off of that. And they actually had videos out for Angel City. And they used to play No Voices in the Sky a lot. And I really wanted to play No Voices in the Sky for this episode off of this album. By the way, <laughs> the album is called 1916. It's Motorhead's ninth studio album. Came out on February 26th of 1991. Co-produced by Ed Stasium, the great Ed Stasium, and Peter Solly. And uh, another fun fact, I know this one just out of my head, the last Motorhead album to be recorded as a four-piece. Yes. So once Filthy left the band, they were like, we're a trio now. We are forever power trio with a solidified lineup. But yes, before that, they also put out this killer album called 1916, the album that made me a fan, probably due to all the Headbangers Ball videos, but also just like, man, this is just heavy shit, and I love it. So yeah, I remember also, I used to listen to KNON over here in Dallas a lot. It's definitely still a thing. It's it's the public radio station of town. Now, I'm not talking about NPR. I'm talking about that rogue radio station that always asks for money. 
So, you know, once a week, whenever they'd have their metal show on, I used to listen to it pretty religiously. I think it was like on Tuesday or Wednesdays or something like that. I'd tune over to see what the local thing was doing. And they played everything from glam to thrash. Still do, by the way. I, I think it's got a different host now. It's some uh, some good old boy hosting, but he plays killer stuff. Uh, but I think the guy's name was Dave Chaos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he'd, he'd play this song a lot. And so I was just like, man, all in with Motorhead, finally. So yes, the lead single and a one of the best Motorhead songs of all time, in my opinion. We're going to kick the show off with it right now. Why waste time? I've wasted a ton of time, but here you go. This is Motorhead, and they play rock and roll, and this is I'm So Bad Baby I Don't Care.
kicking off the show here tonight and kicking off the top 10 albums of 1991 in fine fashion that was motorhead from the 1916 album and i'm so bad baby i don't care oh by the way the reason i didn't play no voices in the sky and obviously i'm so bad is a better kickoff track anyway but i've actually got a cover version of that song and i will be playing it on the odds and ends of 2021 so stay tuned subscribe tell your friends all right coming in at album number nine right here of 1991 is yet another sophomore album we've had a lot of sophomore albums on this countdown and if i'm not mistaken this is the second best sophomore album of 1991 lenny kravitz yes i don't play a lot of lenny on the show but much like i mentioned earlier in the countdown with public enemy i think on the last episode yeah it was the last episode last yeah album number 11 uh but man I back the first four records by Lenny Kravitz. Uh, You know, obviously he got seduced by a lot of bullshit and just being a pop star and whatever, but those first four albums are absolutely solid. So if you've never given the Lenny Kravitz catalog a chance, check out those first four records. The second one, Mama Said, probably gets the most acclaim. Uh, It's his divorce album. It's his Hear My Dear album. But it's, it's sad in a lot of places. But there's some killer rock tracks on there as well. Of course, the retro aspect that you'd expect from Mr. Kravitz. And like I said, the album is called Mama Said. Came out on April 2nd, 1991. Of course, there's that killer track on there that he did with his high school friend Slash, Always on the Run. That was a song that Slash originally wrote for Guns N' Roses, but he thought it was a little too funky, in his own words, and they would never go for it. Fast forward to uh, later on in the Usual Illusion tour, they do that pay-per-view concert in Paris, and Lenny Kravitz actually comes out and does the song with them. So there you go. At that time, Guns N' Roses had a horn section, so it was perfect for performance. Uh, so yeah, if you've never seen that, go look that up. I need a nice uh, DVD transfer, you know, bootleg or otherwise, of that pay-per-view concert, because I used to have it on VHS, but I don't believe it's in my vaults anymore. But if you have a DVD copy of that, send it over to your pal Joey. DM me. But anyway, until then, I'm going to play you a deep favorite here from the Mama Said record just to get you enticed to maybe go buy this thing. And there's a deluxe edition out there too, by the way, if you're if you're really nerdy about it. Uh, but here you go. A killer retro upbeat track right here. This is Stop Dragging Around. More uh, guitar. Need more track. Stop dragging around. Stop dragging around. 
You know, I don't care that Lenny wore his influences on his sleeve because that is like just a perfect mix of Hendrix and Sly and the Family Stone. So fuck all the haters. That was Stop Dragging Around by Lenny Kravitz. Great stuff right there. And if my memory serves me correct, I believe my pal Logan would say that's the Lenny Kravitz album you should buy. All right. Moving on to album number eight right here. Uh, is an album that I feel doesn't get a lot of love, like almost in its community itself, you know, in the bubble of their fandom. Uh, this album should get uh, higher praise because to me, this is, I I want to say this is their best overall album. You know, I'm tempted to just go with the cool crowd and say first two albums are the best, but this is my personal favorite album by this band. And so I'm going to say it. This is their best album. The third studio album by L.A. Guns called Hollywood Vampires, which came out on June 25th, 1991 i already played over the edge by this band on the odds and ends i cheated to get it on there to represent the point break soundtrack i'm glad i did because there's so many great songs on here and i really wanted to play another song off of this record in case you only maybe heard over the edge and kiss my love goodbye and you know just digging deep here on the facts i never knew this before literally until this second so what do the kids say i was today years old when i found out that one of my favorite sounding producers produced this album. So it makes all the sense in the world how much I love this album. Michael James Jackson produced this album. Yes, if you are a Kiss fan, you know that name. He produced uh, arguably their two best sounding albums, Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up. Uh, so yes, that, that makes me so happy. Yes, Michael James Jackson produced this super quality album here. But this is a perfect album in the sense of like just the imaging, the Hollywood vampires thing, the, the gypsy goth look that they had going on. All the music in this album completely matches that feel and style. So it, it doesn't feel forced in any way to me. You know, a lot of bands that dress this way or tried to act this way, they didn't sound like this. Uh, so that's another thing that just puts this record over the top for me. Okay, I'm done gushing about this album. Like, I can't believe this is only number eight. So just prove how strong this album list is right here. So from the Hollywood Vampires album, this is L.A. Guns with Crystal Eyes. Check it out. Child of light in a world. 
Coming in at number eight right here on the top albums of 1991. Uh, just once again, I like to think that if I was like, you know, living out there at the time 
in the heart of Hollywood and Los Angeles. Like this would be like the perfect night album too. It's another reason why it's just one of those perfect albums. So there you go. LA guns with crystal eyes, go pick up Hollywood vampires. If I make you do anything else, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask maybe one more favor out of you before this episode's over, but go check out that record. Let me know what you think. All right. Coming in at number seven right here yet another definitive, absolutely definitive Los Angeles album. And one of my favorite albums of the entire genre of rap and hip hop right here. And I think the only other person to guess that this album would have been in my top 10 might have been Loose Cannon from Cobras and Fire. But yes, Ice T's OG, Original Gangster. Now, right there, just that term, OG, Original Gangster. That, and, and I wasn't so deep in the culture, of course, at the time, but for a white boy from the suburbs in the early 90s, easily the first time i ever heard that phrase now people just say it every other second but ice t was the guy that coined that for me i mean he probably wasn't officially but he's the one that popularized that term for sure no doubt about it so yes this was actually conceived originally as a double album came out on may 14th 1991 now uh, he even said in his ice opinion book that because it had double the amount of tracks that a normal album did that he got like paid extra for it or something weird like that. But I'm like, in the CD era, like even in the cassette era, this is not a double album. It's like a 72 minute album. So you could get this on one CD and one cassette. So I guess the vinyl guys, it was a double. And that happened to me here and there as a guy that was still buying vinyl. Uh, Man, I'd love to have, pardon the pun, an OG copy of this on vinyl. Because if you try to buy it on vinyl nowadays, it's half the tracks are chopped off of it. It's not the true release. Uh, But until they write that wrong, let's talk about the CD and cassette era here. Going back to the actual album here, OG, Original Gangster, May 14th, 1991. Multiple producers, Ice-T, DJ Aladdin, Africa Islam, all the guys in the band uh, helping out on production right there. Uh, But yeah, this is a watershed album in rap and hip-hop, gangster rap, whatever you want to call it. And much like his East Coast equivalent in Public Enemy, first four albums. I back those first four albums, but especially the third and fourth album. The first one is a little eh, but the second, third, and fourth, top, top order for sure. I love a lot of songs on here. I already played New Jack Hustler on the odds and ends, you know, just to get another song in. One of my favorites on this album, Bitches 2. That's a super fun, super funny song. Of course, the title track, OG. Even the debut of Body Count, the actual Body Count song, makes its debut on this album. You know, of course, it'd be the same track that would go on to their debut album the year after. We'll get into that next year. Uh, But the overall absolute number one favorite right here of mine and of Loose Cannons. So we got to play it to represent the number seven album here of 1991. Crank this one up and try to stay out of trouble. This is Midnight. Midnight, chilling at AM, PM. Cooling, drinking apple juice and evil PM. The sounds of loud to attract attention. Armor all Shot, but they in the shoulder blade. I'm busting through the car, 
hit the gas, it was one past midnight. This is on my life, and I'm just going back. Take me on a walk through hell. Police 
when they're trying to creep. Broke through my door with no goddamn warning. Looked at my watch, it was six in the morning. Another thing that makes that track one of the great Ice-T songs of all time is the fact that there's so many references to uh, you know his catalog at this point, his history already. It was the second time he had sampled the Black Sabbath Black Sabbath song. Plus, uh, you know, as the twist at the end right there, it serves as a prequel to his first big single, Six in the Morning. So if you play those songs back to back, it's like the full story, if you will. So yeah, fun stuff right there. Killer track right there. Midnight. Does anybody else in hip-hop paint a picture better than Ice-T? I don't think so. Not for my money. But yes, OG original gangster and i say this every time i reference ice on the show go check out the ice opinion whether you're just reading it or listening to the audio i honestly prefer the audio myself because uh, it's actually spoken from the man himself moving on here to the number six album staying in california california's really got it going on i never realized how much they are a part of the upper echelon of this countdown. But yes, we are staying there. And, you know, you like LA Guns, Ice-T, and something completely different from that. There's a lot of killer variety going on here. Just in LA, not just on my show. Yes, on my show, of course, but Los Angeles is king here. But yes, with the number six album, Fishbone, and their third full-length album, The Reality of My Surroundings, came out April 23rd, 1991, co-produced by the band, the great Dave Jordan and Dave Kahn. This is a great record. Uh, I love me some damn Fishbone. I'll say it every chance I get. Absolutely one of the best, maybe in the top five live acts you can see in the world to this moment. Go see them if you've never seen them live. If you don't own a record, buy them. I don't care. Go see them. You'll buy the entire catalog after you see them. Angelo Moore, one of the great frontmen of all time, one of the baddest bands that's ever been assembled is freaking Fishbone. So yes, if this song doesn't convince you, then I really don't know what to tell you. Reality of My Surroundings is the album. The band is Fishbone. This is Sunless Saturday. Shards of sad dreams in the street 
Oh, man, that is so good. That's a freaking perfect song off of a damn near perfect album. That's so good, I almost feel like an asshole for not making it the number one album of 1991. So let's just say six through one are all tied for first. Let's just let's just say it, you know, yeah, I did have to rank them in a particular order, and that's what I was feeling literally today. I can't tell you how many times I've bounced around these top six albums. So if it makes you feel better, and it definitely makes me feel better mentally, let's just say six through one are all tied for first. But there you go, that was Fishbone. Sunless Saturday from the reality of my surroundings. What a damn great record. Damn near perfect. By the way, full disclosure, I say damn near perfect because I did not score one 100 pointer on this entire countdown. Everything was so close. Like the highest stuff is like, you know, 95, 96, 97, that kind of stuff. But there's not a 100 pointer on here. And the scoring system definitely had an effect on the companion album to our number five record right here. Yes. Guns N' Roses return to the countdown, cracking the top five with specifically Use Your Illusion 1. Yes. If you're a big fan of 2, awesome. I love 2 as well. But it ranked really low on this countdown, and if you heard the episode, you know why. Don't blame me. Blame my world. My world gets you zero points and will really have a negative effect in your rankings. But Use Your Illusion 1, you know, stronger album. My world aside, I think one is slightly stronger. Just slightly. Uh, But yeah, officially released September 17th, 1991. What an event that release was. I saw them live in July, anticipating the albums coming out. These shows were basically like record release parties. You know, like just looking at the track listing right here, I could tell you what songs I heard for the first time just going to the show. Okay, let me go down the track list here. Bear with me, if you will. Definitely heard Dustin Bones at that show. Live and Let Die, they played that. Don't Cry, they played. Bad Obsession. Double Talk and Jive. November Rain, they, they must have played, yeah. I mean, it's weird that I don't remember that or have a memory of it, but they had to have played that, right? I'll have to check that list. But yeah, out of those, that's what they played. And this one right here. I didn't mention it just now because I wanted it to be the track that I played. This was the first song they played that night. And, uh, you know, I've said it a few times maybe on this show. And when I talk about Guns N' Roses with anybody, I do brag that I was at the first post-St. Louis riot show. That was in Dallas, Texas. It happened pretty much exactly two weeks after the St. Louis riots. It was their first show back. So Axel had a lot of uh, angry energy inside of him. And if you've ever seen those MTV news clips at the time, they would show uh, this file footage of Axel running out on stage. He's wearing a white Public Enemy t-shirt with like neon green on the uh, logo stuff. And he's just yell singing the song. That's the show I was at. He was an angry motherfucker that night. As angry as I get possibly whenever I try to record my show and the dickless motorcycle guy in my neighborhood decides to go out for a lap. And that's it. Okay. That all being said, this was the song Guns N' Roses came roaring out to at my first Guns N' Roses show. An unforgettable moment. This is the track I always think of when it comes to Use Your Illusion 1, and another reason why it ranks so high on the list. Coming at number 5, Use Your Illusion 1, G and F and R, this is Perfect Crime.
Quentin Angry, the way we like them. That was Perfect Crime by Guns N' Roses from Usual Illusion 1, the better of the two albums. Although I do recommend both, honestly. Especially, you know, in this day and age, even up to the iPod age, you know, or the mixtape age. Yeah, all ages. You could always make a mixtape or just make a copy, dupe copy of those albums and make your own version. You know, uh, even the, I have the one CD version of Use Your Illusion, the one that they sold briefly to like Walmart, Kmart or whatever, and the one they sent out to radio stations. If you listen to the album release uh, night, this is the CD they played. I have, I have a copy of that. You can still get it out there. It's not hard to get. And it's not even expensive. So if you're a big fan, go get that as a collector's item. But yes, you know, in this day and age of playlist, iPod, you know, whatever, you could always take my world off and have a way better experience. Anyway... Here's a stupid, ridiculous tie-in that makes all the sense in the world from going from this album to our number four album. On said album, there's a song called The Garden, and it features a guest vocal by my all-time favorite artist, Alice Cooper. And yes, this might not be a popular opinion, but I understand the the Hey Stupid album, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, the Kelly Bundy spelling, but I understand the Hey Stupid is not a heralded album in the grand scheme of things, not just in 1991, you know, retrospectives, but Alice Cooper in general. Like, you know, I know people that are big Alice fans that don't really care or are very indifferent about the Hey Stupid album, but I'm here to convince you otherwise, and hopefully I do. Uh, you know, it's seen as a brother-sister album to trash. Of course, you know, it's it's got a glam style, it's glossy, you know, it's got Desmond Child co-writes on it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but even though I love Trash, I think Hey Stupid is the better album of the two. It's just got better overall songs. The I like the feel of it better. I think it's just better. And over the years, my fandom of this record has only increased. I really liked it when it came out, but I pretty much love this record now. And it doesn't have a lot of clunkers for my money. There's a couple of ridiculous songs on there. 
you know, half pointers, but no zero point songs. And some of my favorite all time Alice songs are on this album, which definitely, of course, helps in its ranking. Stuff like Wind Up Toy, uh, Dangerous Tonight, I think is super underrated. I thought Love's the Loaded Gun got jobbed out as a single, even though it was a single. It should have done better. But yeah, I think you could definitely blame a lot of this on the culture shift at the time. And Hey Stupid, always fun for me. I, fun video, good message, whatever you want to call it. When they play it, they actually played it at our Alice show this year, and I was so happy. I'm always happy to hear it. Feed My Frankenstein, you know, it's fun, but it's it's not my favorite. Uh, but if you love it, great, because, you know, it's part of this album, and I never turn it off when it's on, so that that's something to be said. But uh, yes, right smack dab in the middle right there, actually transitioning out of Dangerous Tonight, seamlessly into this song right here even after that cool kind of muscle of love feel that hard-hearted alice outro that dangerous tonight has love it goes right into this song one of the greatest alice cooper songs of all time really puts it over the top for me it's definitely noteworthy that i mentioned not only did alice write this song and of course alice is one of the great songwriters of all time but wrote it with two of the other great songwriters of all time longtime collaborator and musician friend dick wagner our friend, the late, great Dick Wagner, and one of the great songwriters of all time, love him or hate him, Desmond Child. Now, uh, I know that I think it was Desmond that added the second course to this uh, track, if I'm not mistaken. This song is so epic. Yes, it's an epic power ballad, but it's one of the greats ever, and it has a double chorus in it. So just to put everything over the top, almost kind of going into Jim Steinman territory but never really going that cheesy. But, you know, I love Jim Steinman, but this is, uh, like I said, the closest thing I think Alice ever got to that kind of production. But uh, to me, this is the showpiece, the, the true spotlight of the album, along with a few other songs. But also one of the reasons why this album is ranked so high. So yes, officially the number four album of 1991 for me is Hey Stupid by Alice Cooper. And here's said song that I just built up here. This is Might As Well Be On Mars.
Still waiting for them to add this into the set list. I don't believe that Alice has ever played this song live, and which is weird because I know he's often mentioned that it's one of his favorite songs as well. But there you have it. Might as well be on Mars from the album Hey Stupid. I think I failed to mention it did officially come out July 2nd, 1991, produced by Peter Collins, a guy that has definitely produced a lot of slick sounding rock albums. So there you go. Coming in at number three. Now, a lot of you longtime friends of the show may know that I put a lot of extra emphasis on producers at times when it comes to albums. And, you know, if I just out now just asked you, hey, what's the highest ranking Bob Rock album of 1991 for me and you? You would probably just immediately think, oh, uh, the Black Album, my Metallica. Bob Rock produced that. He was a longtime collaborator with Metallica after the fact. Uh, And you'd be wrong. No, my favorite Bob Rock album of 1991 is not the Black Album. It is this one right here, an album that came out right at the beginning of the year on January 15th of 1991. Yes, produced out there at Little Mountain Sound Studios, Vancouver, British Columbia, where Slippery When Wet and Pump and the Black Album, where they all came from. And probably that's why this artist here chose Bob Rock to produce his album, trying to get some of that magic. Not just on principle, I feel on song quality this album makes it. And and a lot of the parallel arguments I would make for Hey Stupid, I would make for this album as well. Maybe not so much on an epic grand scale, but in just the overall feel and fun nature that this artist produced. That's why he is my spirit animal. And yes, there's probably a little bit of favoritism here, but as song quality goes, there's only like a, a couple of like eh kind of songs. This is one of the ultimate albums by this artist right here. His third solo album. Yes, you could probably guess by now. David Lee Roth with the A Little Ain't Enough album. I I emphasize little because the single is little because it's a shorter thing. The album itself, full word, A Little Ain't Enough. Yes, the one with the devil on the cover. Yes, the one with uh, two great generations of lead guitar players in the band here in the studio. Right off the bat here, the lineup, the recorded lineup for this album. Uh, Jason Becker and Steve Hunter on co-lead guitars. Uh, you know, you know, if it's bluesy, then it's definitely Steve. If it's Eddie Van Halen sounding, it's Jason. So you got the best of both worlds in there, pun intended, probably. And you got the Bissonette brothers, Matt and Greg Bissonette here in the rhythm section. Uh, man, just you can't go wrong. It's got some of Dave's wittiest lyrics of all time. And really, at the time, I don't think anybody gave a shit about this album. I I know for a fact people didn't give a shit about this album. To this day, they probably don't. But, you know, 30 years passing on this, I feel like you should definitely give this album a chance like it's a brand new album. Because it still feels fresh. I'm sure a lot of that is the production as well. I mean, definitely big ups to Bob Rock. It's a great sounding album. But like I said, the lyrics on here, you know, with that classic Dave humor and some of those introspective lyrics... They are on here, you know, maybe not so much on Hammerhead Shark, uh, but uh, maybe on something like the song I'm going to play here. It's got some of what Dave likes to call that classic barroom Buddhism, and it's alive in spades here on this album. So yes, it is my number three favorite album of 1991. Much like all these top six albums, tied for first and can be my favorite depending on the day. But yes... Of course, I'd be tempted to play the pseudo title track, A Little Ain't Enough, or something you might have heard like It's Showtime, which is definitely one of the great non-Van Halen Van Halen songs of all time. And even the album closer, Drop in the Bucket, 
killer, killer track that people should know. There's a lot to like on this album, a lot to love, a lot to just have fun with, or you just want to hang by the pool and have a beer if that's your thing. This is a great record to put on. There's nothing that, uh, you know, takes away from the party. Even the bluesy ballad, Sensible Shoes, you have that moment by the pool, you know. But yes, let's get into it right here, right after that title track at the beginning of the album, A Little Ain't Enough goes slamming right into this song right here and it's always been my personal favorite on the album ever since i bought it when it came out so here you go to represent my number three favorite album of 1991 here is the mighty diamond david lee roth my spirit animal this song right here shoot it
So if you're as old as I am or a little older, maybe you might remember this person I'm going to reference. There was a kind of a pop figure, male pop figure from the late 80s called Robbie Neville. You remember that guy out there? I'll give you a second. Think about it. He had a big hit called Say La Vie, a minor hit called What's It To Ya, and my personal favorite of his three singles, Dominoes killer song right there uh if you remember that guy he had like one album and then he just kind of seemed to disappear off the face of the planet uh he wound up writing songs for other people and that was one of them that song and a little ain't enough dave and robbie neville co-wrote together makes me kind of wish they'd have done a whole album together but we got those two killer tracks on there out of that collaboration so there you go a david lee roth robbie neville collaboration right there shoot it killer horn section right there you know bob rock always brings in good horns has that aerosmith feel to it you know even with steve hunter playing on there uh but also like you know bruce fairbain another fellow canadian producer right there they work together a lot uh, bruce and bob rock but uh, i think it was the same brass section that worked on pump so there you go that's why it has that kind of feel to it but yeah there you go give a little ain't enough a chance justice for a little ain't enough and justice for hey stupid if i do anything else on these episodes i want those albums in your catalog and i want to know what you think about them and hopefully i made them some of your favorite albums of all time as well okay so let's get in to the last two albums here of this countdown we're finally going to finish off 1991 i had this whole thing built up to uh talk about the number two album but you know actually as it turns out i actually have some audio of some behind the scenes moments in the making of this album so you know i'll talk a little after the song but i want to play this part to intro the song to represent our number two album here so i have some exclusive audio here so as it builds up to the song just enjoy this a little fly on the wall action so i'll be back with you in a few minutes check it out hey hey excuse me it's a closed session what you mean closed session it's a closed session here no one's allowed nobody what are you you're talking gonna, you're about you're gonna have to leave I don't, do you know who I am? No, I don't know who you are. You're going to have to leave right now. I am Aladdin Sassipian Sulemanagic Jackson III. <laughs> I don't care what you did on who. You're going to have to leave. Listen, man. Listen, brother. I am the world-renowned reptilian lover. <laughs> what you laughing at, brother? I'm not laughing. I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. There's no authorization. You have to have a special... Let me tell you something. I sang for Aqueduct Pocket. I sang for Relaxed Atmosphere. I don't know who they are. I, I sang for Third World Lover. This, this you heard infectious. of them? No, I haven't. This is the Infectious Grooves. It's a closed session. Have y'all sorry, heard of my hit single, Whip Cream? Whip Cream, put it all over your body. <laughs> no. You never heard of that? <laughs> Where you been, brother? I've been keeping people out of the studio. Have you heard of the song, The Love That You Shall Find Is The Love That You Will Never Find? Because it's the love that <laughs> is not always for not no able I'm to be sorry. found. And you're dripping some green funk now on the carpet. Listen, man, don't worry about my green funk. I'm going ha- to have to get some security happening here. Don't get no security involved. I'm I gonna work. security. I want to work with you, brother. This is some kind what of game What are you doing here? here? This is some kind of game, brother. I came here to do backups. Backups for who? For this infectophibian thing, man.
Love Me Some Infectious Grooves, enough to where they are the number two album on the top albums of 1991 right there. You heard a little closed session right there, a little behind the scenes, going into the title track, title song actually, called Infectious Grooves. From the album, The Plague That Makes Your Booty Move, it's the Infectious Grooves, the debut album from said band, which was, you know, just basically an offshoot of Suicidal Tendencies. That's Mike Muir, of course, on the vocals. Rocky George was on guitar there, lead guitar. Robert Trujillo, you know, was already in the band. So it's basically just a funk offshoot of Suicidal Tendencies to where they were getting so like that, especially with the track Send Me Your Money. I think they might have been a little scared of, like, you know, getting some getting some backlash from the metal and punk community that their albums were kind of going in this direction. So I think that's why they decided to make the offshoot, you know, group, Infectious Grooves. And it was definitely a good idea. Uh, weirdly enough, Suicidal would be a different kind of experimental 
on their follow-up album, Art of Rebellion, which I'm pretty sure will do very well on the 1992 countdown. Uh, but yes, I love me the plague that makes your booty move. It's the infectious grooves. I really like Sarsipius's arc. I really liked the third album that they put out, Groove Family Psycho. I think that was 94, 95. That'll show up at some point. But yes, super fun album. You know, it's a hybrid of metal, punk, funk, you know, just fun stuff right there. And at a time where rock music basically turned their backs on having any kind of uh, what you would call mascot, Eddie aside, Sarsipius definitely coming in hot and uh, filling in some of the void that left us, you know, with the death of the mascot in rock and roll. But yes... Go get that record. I love it. Officially released October 9th, 1991, by the way. Produced by Mark Dodson. Great great sounding producer right there. And now it's time, yes, for the number one album of 1991, according to Rock Strikes 10. Probably according to a lot of people. Uh, you know, like I said, six through one really tied for first with me. But if I'm going to make a truly definitive 1991, there's a little bit of that, like making it defined and of the time, if you will. This was my most anticipated album of 1991, and I still love it, so I feel like it deserves to be the number one album. It's not a perfect album. There's a few clunkers on there. And honestly, the Prill Advisory and Clean version, the two songs on there, one's on and one isn't, uh, those are both half-point songs at this point for me. So that doesn't even make a difference. So literally tied when I would rank them. And I, I tried it both ways. So, uh, whoa, phrasing. Uh, but yes, I think most of you out there can deduce what I'm talking about right here. The number one album of 1991, here officially on the Rock Strikes 10, Rock and Rank Super Special, is the sophomore album. Yes, there's that phrase again. The second album by Skid Row, Slave to the Grind, came out on June 11th, 1991, produced by the great Michael Wagner right there. Kind of neat, you know, opening for Guns N' Roses when they first started on this tour and then transitioning into a headline act. I actually missed them opening for Guns N' Roses because they played so early and we were stuck in traffic. I missed their Guns N' Roses set, but then I made up for it the year after. I talked about this on my uh, concert chronology episode. But yeah, I did see a headline show for Slave to the Grind. So I had just an ultimate journey with this album, you know, just listening to it all the time I had it on cassette. Had on CD. I bought the Roadkill video when it came out. Uh, yeah, saw the show, bought the shirt, the whole thing, full immersion. And I still love the album. So, yes, it is the best album of 1991 for my money overall. Uh, they played this song when I saw them on the headline show. So, I just have a special spot for this song. Plus, I remember buying the aforementioned Roadkill video. The first 3D video I ever saw was this video right here unforgettable great looking video still to this day and so like a lot of those aspects uh, make this a standout song for the record plus it's not an obvious single so that helps you know with the overall feel and nature here of rock strikes 10 so yes we've come to the end of the countdown here is the song to represent the number one album skid Row's slave to the grind turn it up this is psycho love Stay 
great underrated track right there in the grand scheme of the Skid Row catalog. But that was Psycho Love from Slave to the Grind, the number one album of 1991, according to me, myself, and I, Joey. Like I said, probably a few others right there. Yes, six through one, absolute law. The top 20 you definitely should all own. Go through this countdown again. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you discovered for the first time. Tell me I'm insane for putting my two favorites, Dave and Alice, in the top 10. I don't care. I just want to hear from you. Let me know you're listening. Yes, hope you enjoyed this countdown. I'm going to be back sooner than later to do a decent-sized retrospective on the year 2001. I've got one more retrospective to do before the ball drops, before we get to Christmas. Good God, I'm insane, and I'm driving myself crazy. So, like I said, hope you enjoyed the show. See you on the next one. Till then, stay tuned for someone who was five years old in the year 1991. (laughs) My better half, Nola, with the plugs and the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, our new kittens, Ruby and Ripley, get a treat. We're on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Streakle of Talking Metal. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRusa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRusa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Post game show is brought to you by 
Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.